Welcome to Objection to the Rule, your Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Teresa Robinson, and I'm on air today with my co-host, Emily Scott. We are recording this episode on Thursday, March 18th, and it will begin airing on Sunday, March 21st. Emily, what's going on, girl? Hello, Teresa. It's just the two of us today. I know. Our third co-host, Jasmine, was unable to join us, but she will Mm -hmm. be a part of this episode because she will be doing the editing. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Yes. Bless you, Jasmine. (laughs) Listen, that's real work right there. I don't even know how to do it, so I'm grateful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very grateful. How have you been this week? Um, How have I been this week? What a question of the ages. Um. I am uh, tired, always tired from work. It totally fries my brain, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but I'm doing okay. I, um, you know, watching my murder documentaries, um, really enjoying that. Uh, <laughs> that works. Yeah. I mean, my murder podcast, murder documentaries, true crime all day keeps me grounded. <laughs> Okay, girl. Do what it takes. How about you? I know. I've been all right. I've been focusing actually on my meditation practice for the past two weeks, just trying to like get myself together because the world is opening and I'm like resistant. I'm like, I'm not ready to come out of my shell. Um, So yeah, I've just been trying to like go in because we're about to have to go out. You know, spring is coming. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I've been doing. You know, I'm a nerd like that, but it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So this week we will be discussing the eviction uh, issues in NYC neighborhoods greatly affected by COVID-19, Tiffany Haddish and her Grammy win, the new bill passed by the House regarding immigration today, and the horrific killings of Asian Americans in Atlanta. So we've got a lot in store for you today. Emily, why don't you go ahead and kick off our episode with our local news segment? All righty. So this one is a bummer, as they usually (laughs) tend to be. Um, So the story comes from a March 17th New York Times article by Stephanos Chen titled New York renters and COVID hotspots are four times more likely to face eviction. The article explains, quote, New York City landlords are seeking evictions nearly four times more often in the neighborhoods hit hardest by COVID-19 predominantly Black and Latino communities that have borne the brunt of both health and housing crises since the virus swept the city last year, according to a new report. The findings are the latest indication that thousands of the city's most vulnerable residents could be forcibly removed from their homes as early as May, when a statewide pause on evictions is set to expire. Uh, The report was produced by the Association for Neighborhoods and Housing Development, uh, self-described as quote, a member organization of community groups across New York City that, quote, builds community power to win affordable housing and thriving, equitable neighborhoods for all New Yorkers. Um, So it sounds like a pretty cool organization. You can find them at anhd.org. But anyway, so while New York has, quote, a pause on many evictions, new cases continue to be filed. In fact, the association I referenced above Uh, analyzed state records and found that, quote, about 40,000 residential tenants have been taken to court for eviction proceedings since late March of 2020, with an average claim of $8,150. Quote, the analysis looked at properties with two or more units. So that's just something to keep in mind. It's not uh, a single unit uh, 
properties anywhere. Um, however, quote, the neighborhoods with the highest COVID-19 death rates, the top 25%, received 15,517 eviction filings, uh, while areas with the lowest death rates in the bottom 25% had only 4,225 cases through late February. Roughly 68% of residents in the hardest hit zip codes were people of color, more than twice the share in the least affected areas. Uh, the zip code with the eviction, evictions being filed at the highest rate was 10468, where 51 out of every 1,000 residential units had an eviction case. Quote, the hardest hit neighborhoods were home to large numbers of essential workers, many of whom lost their jobs in the last year. Uh, Lucy Black, an author of the report, is quoted as saying, when we talk about systemic racism, this is how it shows up. It's the scale to which landlords are still trying to evict people and how much of those evictions are concentrated in the same communities being decimated by COVID-19. The depressing numbers get even bigger if you expand to look at those who are at risk of being evicted. Quote, as of December, as many as 1.2 million renters in New York State were at risk of eviction, meaning it was unlikely they could pay the next month's rent, according to Stout, a financial consulting firm. As a reminder, New York is still unaffordable for many in general. Uh, quote, even though the coronavirus has sparked a year of record rent cuts, mostly on luxury apartments, 96% of market rate rental li listings in New York City are still unaffordable to a wide group of essential workers who made an average salary of about $56,000, but often much less, according to the listing website StreetEasy. Uh, there is one point of hope on the horizon, the $1.9 trillion federal stimulus package. New York could get billions of, billions of dollars in rental assistance. But of course, if the money isn't dispersed in the right way, it could be a missed opportunity to help a lot of people who need it very badly right now. So yeah, that is the local news, um, what's going on right now. Um, you know, it's not a new thing that your zip code determines so much or the correlation between zip code and so much of a, a person's life in general is, is so intense in this country. Um, and the story just sort of ties into that even, even stronger. Absolutely. I mean, it, you know, this is nothing new, right? We know these things, but you know, I think that a lot of people are so focused on the pandemic being over right now. And it's kind of scary to me, quite honestly. Like, I feel like I've heard so much dialogue this week at work and in other conversations that, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic. People are going back to their normal everyday lives. But it's like nothing's normal. Like the fact that you can get up and, you know, go eat at a restaurant or go see your family members because people now have vaccines. It does not mean this pandemic is over. There are so many repercussions that will still last from this pandemic for years to come. And I think that people are so urgent to get back to some sense of something that they feel comfortable with, but there's all of this like leftover shit, which is kind of what this story is about. All these communities that were affected, you know, major people, matriarchs and patriarchs and families we're, we're, you know, they're not here anymore and people have to figure out how to pick their lives up and figure out their livelihoods, sustain their families. This pandemic is nowhere near over and these communities that are greatly affected by this um, are still to be, you know, considered. 
there's still people coming from jurisdictions that's not even the right area code still in vaccines. And I say that because I personally have witnessed people of not these communities getting vaccines in these communities and that shit's still going on. Okay. So that's an issue. You know, it's hard to get an appointment. Um, a lot of our elderly people or black and brown communities that have been greatly affected by this, they don't have access to internet. They don't know how to do this. So there are so many layers of discrimination and just inequality that's still happening, you know, and we can't be so quick to just be like, Oh, things are back to normal. No, they're not. Things will never be the way they were before. And this story obviously highlights that the, some of the issues people are getting kicked out of their houses right now, still because of the, the repercussions of the pandemic. I just think everybody needs to slow down for a second and fucking regroup, you know, like not be so quick to just think everything's all good because these communities, there's still children without computers that missed a whole year of school. There are still teachers that lost their jobs because they couldn't follow the curve, you know? So at the end of the day, I'm not surprised by this, but I just want people to still be aware. Like people are still going through it. You know, spring is here, but that doesn't mean the pandemic is over. It just means we need to spring forward in action to help the people who was great, the most greatly affected. Absolutely, Teresa. Yeah. So um, in everything, not only is the the pandemic not over and not only is there still a lot of risk out there for our most vulnerable um the most vulnerable parts of our population or people in our population. But, um, you know, when the pandemic's over, there is that huge fear that all these people who have not been, you know, who've been hanging on by a thread, um, not being evicted due to these, you know, band-aids being put on it by the government. Um, when that band-aid's taken off, you know, there's, there's this hu- a huge fear that a lot of people are going to lose their homes. Um, you know, so many, we've talked about this on the show before, I'm sure, but so many people, um, in this country, in New York are living, you know, paycheck to paycheck month to month. Um, and when the pandemic came and, you know, a lot of these jobs are the jobs that got cut first, um, and early and people who don't have assistance to help them when they lose their jobs, um, you know, they're, they're not able, they don't have savings to fall back on. They don't have people who can, you know, lend them money. Um, a lot of people who were undocumented weren't eligible for unemployment. Um, and they're, they're behind on rent. Right. And they're, they have no way, you know, if they, if they weren't able to, pay multiple months rent, you know, at the time they, they can't, they just, there's too much back rent due and they're not going to be able to pay it. So it, it's pretty scary. Yeah. It's not an automatic fix. You know, it's not an automatic fix. And then we have to think about all the things that happened during the pandemic in addition to the pandemic, right? Like there were so many things, even with the racial injustice, people going to jail, people having to deal with their families who were involved in the riots. Um, there's layers you know, there's so many layers to inequality right now that are so, um, so prominent and so real and so much more apparent than they were before, uh, because we've had this time to really, to really be as Americans. And for some people, it's not been a great experience. It's not been, it's been more of a struggle than it was before. So, um, this story is definitely important. Obviously hit home for me, I'm over here going in, uh, but I'm just saying that, you know, we need to consider this and we need to consider how to help our neighbors. Um, 
so yeah, thank you so much for that story, Emily. I think it was a great, uh, just reminder of where we really are and for people to, you know, really be focused on, um, you know, not moving so quickly, but also transitioning in a way that is helping others and to keep in mind that there are people that are really in need. So we're going to go ahead and take our first musical break. Um, this track comes from an artist named V. I've been looking for information from him all day, but you know, sometimes you just can't find it. It's called What Would I Be? We'll be right back. Better that's oh God, I wish for the best days, me, 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 me,
welcome back to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we have Emily coming back with an update from the station. Yes. So the station got uh, was emailed by someone in need in the community. This is what that email said. Um, this is from the person who emailed the station. Um, Currently, a loved one of mine is missing since Monday morning, March 8th. We need your help. He was last seen in Brooklyn, New York. He is from the East New York area and last seen at Euclid Ave and Sutter Ave. So we're hoping to use the radio platform to help find him. He's 5'2 to 5'3. He's Ecuadorian and weighs around 120 to 130 pounds. He goes by Louis, Louis or Porto Viejo. He has a blue shopping cart and he has dementia. Uh, he also only speaks Spanish. His complete la- his complete name is Segundo Luis Porto Viejo. Um, so if anyone runs across this person, the recommendation here says to call 929-412-7739 if, uh, if Louis is found. Um, an alternative is just calling 911 to let, let them know you found a missing person. But again, yeah, someone in the community in need. So just wanted to, to throw that out there to see if it could, uh, anyone who was able to help could help. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Emily, for sharing that. Um, you know, it's not very often that we have uh, updates that are um, so critical and so close to home. So please, if you have any information, uh, please share with the station and reach out to us. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and jump into our national news segment Uh, This week in America, obviously, we've all been hearing about the horrific shootings um, that have been happening in Atlanta um, concerning Asian Americans. So uh, this story was drawn for an article from the Washington Post. The killings of eight people at three massage businesses in Georgia have focused attention on an industry that that was long targeted of a law enforcement scrutiny. Although many massage parlors are just that, places to get a massage, experts say that more than 9,000 such businesses in the United States that are fronts for prostitution and also that many women working there have been exploited. Atlanta's Mayor Keisha Lance Bottom stressed that the Atlanta Police Department had not had any calls to the two spas in her city where the shootings occurred on Tuesday. The man charged with the killings, eight people, in fact, in three Atlanta massage area parlor, Atlanta massage parlors um, on Tuesday evening had been a customer of at least two of these spas. Deputy police charge Charles Hampton of the Atlanta Police Department said in a news conference on Thursday that the suspect had patronized both of these businesses that were attacked and the police say he shot and killed four women of Asian descent. The authorities have said He drove to those businesses after fatally shooting four people at a spa in the suburbs, including two other women of Asian descent. The police said that they did not know whether the suspect was a a customer of the current location. Law enforcement, who arrested Robert Aaron Long, who was 21, in connection with the shootings, said that the suspect told them the attack was not racially motivated. However, the Atlanta police chief, Rodney Bryant, noted that it remains unclear whether the shootings have been classified as hate crimes. As the killings brought a wave of outrage and attention to violence against Asian American people, Atlanta police officers emphasized that they were continuing to investigate all possible motives. As Asian American students on his way to a 
uh, a boba tea shop. He said he had this to say, thanks for COVID in the suburbs of Atlanta, Asian American people have been a continuous victim of racial slurs and racial violence um, over the past year. In Atlanta, Asians make up about 4% of the city's population, but Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are the fastest growing community in Georgia and played a significant role in the swinging November elections of the Democrats to the state. Uh, Gwinnett County, which is just outside of Atlanta, is the home to the biggest Asian community in the state. Last year, local advocates began sounding alarms about recent strings of attacks on Asian Americans. In May, a group of community leaders reported the sighting of small bronze-colored plaques with the words Wuhan Plague and a picture of Winnie the Pooh eating a boat, eating at a boat, at a, eating a bat with chopsticks. Um, and this is awful, right? Like just the whole connection to why they would even take it there. I mean, obviously COVID-19 was founded in Wuhan, China, but that does not mean that these people deserve to be attacked. Um, phrases have been echoed and racial slurs, slurs also were put out there by president, you know, the previous president, Donald Trump, whose anti-China rhetoric, uh, during the pandemic, basically really encouraged and enraged other people to participate in, um, the hate crimes against Asian Americans. The police have identified the victims of the attack on young Asian massage in Cherokee County of Delima Ashley as Del- Delania Ashley. Yan, Paul Andre Michaels, um, Zotan, and Dawu Feng. And those are just four victims of um of the eight. There I'm um, obviously their their names will come out soon. I don't have them today, but the reality is that this um violence occurred in two separate places in two different cities. So it's it's very scary that uh this to me seems as this attack was obviously premeditated and planned. Mr. Long was arrested about 150 miles south of Atlanta after his parents saw a surveillance image and called the police to say that they believed their son was a wanted man. The police said Mr. Long told them that he had been away in Florida when he was caught and he planned to commit similar violence there against the business tied to to the pornography industry. So this story is still developing. Um, I apologize for a little bit of you know, rocky transmission of the information obviously is, is still coming out and we're still figuring out what's happening. But what sticks out to me is that the young man who participated in this violence and, and basically who did this um, was 21 years old. Okay. He's a really young person. And for some reason he was driven to this crime. The other thing is that he was a customer at these places. So that's another really weird um kind of connotation of his connection to these people is it's just really really mind-boggling uh what's happening here for him to even say that it was not racially motivated obviously if you shoot you know eight people of the same race there has to be some contingency of what your plan was and why you even did it but I guess there'll be more to come on this story but I just want to highlight the fact that uh, this is very scary you know as uh, a person of a color community in America you know, attacks like this that we can actually look and see some sort of similarity or uh, continuity with how it happens. It really makes you realize that people think about these things in a greater aspect. You know, it's not just it's not just the person you see every day. Sometimes it it can extend to just in general people that you don't even know. Um, and I'm really just 
you know, overwhelmed by this because I just feel like there's so many stories like this that we haven't heard. And this young man who is being charged with this, he doesn't even really have a clear indication of why or what draw, what, you know, drew him to do this. So to me, that's very disturbing. And uh, yeah, I mean, definitely something we have to continue to, to explore and find out what was really behind these attacks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the story has been everywhere this week. Um, and I know, I know, you know, social media has really been blowing up and, and the discussions really, um, I mean, it, it, there, it's been a lot. We've talked about this on the show before. Jasmine had um, a story, I think, a couple weeks ago about the rise in Asian American hate crimes in, in the city and in, in this country right now. Um, and this just, you know, expands on that further. Um, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you know, the the model minority, a stereotype and, and myth where, um, you know, people have trouble sometimes believing that Asian Americans are victims ever because, they're, you know, they're the stereotypes that are associated with them are often, you know, them being so smart or, um, you know, proximity to whiteness and things like that. But uh, they are absolutely being targeted right now in a, in a really scary way. And the communities really need solidarity right now. Um, you know, people need to the amplify, amplifying um, Asian voices and concerns and, and discussions about how, you know, anti-Asian uh, bias and hate in this country is very real. Um, and you're absolutely right, Teresa, uh, Trump and that fucking, you know, his, his awful rhetoric around COVID absolutely, um, added to that atmosphere. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot. And I know that, um, I saw that, um, Bowen Yang, who is, is one of my favorite comedians, he's on SNL right now and he is Asian and he had a post on his Instagram story the other day that, that really got me and really, you know, um, as, anyway, I'm just going to read what he posted on his Instagram story. Um, his Instagram handle is at Faye Dunaway, um, which again, he's a comedian, so it's really funny. But um, his post said, uh, it's in, it's the air. It's Asian jokes from the aughts. It's Asian jokes from last year. It's being denied service. It's using Asians as pawns to destroy affirmative action. It's racism at your workplace that's lodged in a small window of, quote, harmlessness recognize it for what it is. Um, and it, it's just, if they're so right, he's just referencing all the ways that we, we just sort of live in a society that, you know, allows for these sorts of hate crimes against Asians to happen um, and how fucked up that is. And I saw another post that talks about the hypersexualization of Asian women in media, right? Um, in Austin Powers, there's, you know, these, there's a scene with two twin Asian women that are hypersexualized. And um, it's, it's, it's really so embedded in our society in a really insidious way. Um, And, you know, it's time to wake up to that and really just put a stop to it. Yeah, there were some more details in the story about how long had been filing Uh, um, battling a sex addiction and possibly that came from his um, interaction at these spas. 
Um, but I'm not even going to put a lot of light on that. I just want to make sure that, you know, I put it out there because that's what the stories were saying. The reality is this man attacked, uh, innocent people who he may or may not have known. And, you know, whether he says it was racially motivated or not, the reality is this violence against Asian Americans has been, um, outlandish and outrageous for the past year. So we just want to bring some light of it. I know that Jasmine had a specific interest in uh, putting some ways that we can support Asian Americans who have become victims of violence. Please make sure you check out our Facebook and our Instagram for more information on that. But just, you know, our condolences to the families who have been affected by this and the communities who are dealing with this um, and all the Asian Americans who have become victims of violence um, after the pandemic. We are here for you. We stand with you and um, definitely are bringing acknowledgement to this issue. So please be on the lookout for ways to support these communities and just be kind people. You know, we have to be kind to each other. We've all been through so much. And it, right now it's more important than ever for us to just stick up for each other and look out for each other and really just advocate for humanity because we all need it. So we're going to go ahead and take our next music break before jumping into our international and good news segment. The next track is Sincerely Jane by Janelle Monet. We'll be right back. Left the city, my mama, she said, don't come back home. These kids around killing each other, they lost their minds. They quit in school making bad.
Hello, this is Jasmine. Like Teresa mentioned, I wanted to say a few things about the horrible mass shooting that just happened in Georgia. The victims were aged 74, 69, 63, 51, 49, 33, 54, and 44. Despite the shooter's own statements, we don't know the exact nature of the work that the women did at the spa. But whether they were sex workers or not, they were all definitely targeted because of a combination of misogyny, racism, and xenophobia. These women were also working-class immigrants and were all aware of how much anti-immigrant rhetoric has ramped up in recent years. Um, With that in mind, the following are some organizations that assist Asian immigrants in Georgia as well as across the country. This information comes from The Cut, and the article is entitled How to Combat Anti-Asian American Violence, and it was written by Angelica Chapin. So in Georgia, you can donate to Asian Americans Advancing Justice, or AAAJ, the Asian American Advocacy Fund, or AAF, and the Center for Pan-Asian Community Services, or CPACS which all provide critical support to the community through legal services, policy advocacy, and life-saving resources for new immigrants and refugees. Outside of Georgia, there's the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum, or NAPAWF, which fights for reproductive health and rights and has worked to defeat sex-selective abortion bans and other forms of medical racial profiling. There is also the New York City-based grassroots collective Red Canary Song, which organizes for the decriminalization of sex work and labor rights, as well as Butterfly, which runs a 24-7 hotline and provides emergency support to help keep workers safe. You can also give to the California-based Asian Immigrant Women Advocates, or AIWA, or to the Koreatown Immigrant Workers Alliance, or KIWA, which help improve conditions for immigrants and other low-wage jobs in the garment, hotel, and home care industries in Los Angeles. So once again, you can find um, more links and more information from How to Help Combat Anti-Asian American Violence by Angelica Chapin, written on The Cut. We will also be sharing related links to our Instagram page, which is at Objection to the Rule, as well as on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Objection Radio Free BK. Thanks, and here's Teresa. Welcome back to Objections to the Rule, your Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we will hop into our international news segment. Uh, This story was drawn from CNN. um, And the title of the story is House Passes Pair of Immigration Bill and Amid Influx of Migrants Crossing the U.S.-Mexico Border. The story is by Claire Ferran and Danielle Diaz. And it was actually published today on CNN. So this is hot off the presses, people. But nonetheless, here we go. House Democrats pushed ahead to approve two separate bills on immigration on Thursday, which is today, marking the first Congress 
First time the Congress has voted on a pathway for citizenship for undocumented Americans. Um, in the first vote, the House passed H.R. 6, the American Dream and Promise Act of 2021, sponsored by Democratic Republican Lucille Royal Allard of California. It would provide a pathway to citizenship for young undocumented immigrants known as dreamers, as well as a temporary protected status for recipients and deferred enforced departure beneficiaries. The legislation stands to make up to 4.4 million individuals eligible for permanent residence, according to the Migration Policy Institute. Nine Republicans voted and Democrats in support of this bill. The House next voted to pass H.R. 1603, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, Bipartisan legislation from Democratic Republican Zoe Lofgren of California as well. This bill would permit farm workers and their spouses and children to earn legal status through continued employment in the agriculture sector. Uh, sector. Um, and this is a quote. Uh, this is a very special day, says Nancy Pelosi. We are making very big difference in how we respect the beauty and diversity of America and how we respect the fact that immigration is a constant reinvigoration of America. Both of these bills have already been passed by the House in previous years, but were voted on again in the chamber now that holds a Democrat slim majority um, and in the House and Senate. They are expected to hit a wall in the Senate, but as of now, they are good to go. The chances of these bills getting enough Republican support to reach 60 votes in the Senate is very low, uh, renewing debate among Democrats about ending the filibuster. That would allow legislation to pass with a lower vote threshold, but also appear unlikely to happen. Democrats are facing increasing scrutiny over handling of immigration amid the recent surge of border crossing that Republicans have argued about as a serious crisis. House Republicans have been hitting a hitting the Biden administration on the influx of migrants crossing the border in recent weeks, including a large increase of unaccompanied minors making a trek to the United States. Many of those migrants crossing the border have said they believe that Biden administration will be more welcoming than the Trump administration, which had adopted a more hardline posture. So this is a quote here. Um, it's more than a crisis. This is a human heartbreak. And that comes from the House leader, the GOP leader, Kevin McCarthy, um, because he had a recent trip to the border this week. He also said the sad part about this, it didn't have to happen. This crisis is created by the presidential policies of this new administration. There's no way to claim that it is a Biden border crisis. So there's a very interesting conflict going on here, right? Biden is poised with making this problem go away, being able to fix and provide solutions for all of the people who are caught up in this crisis that was fueled by the Trump administration's setup of these uh, border jails for the children and his strong, strong policies against immigration with the wall. So the administration now is being, um, you know, poised with trying to figure out how to alleviate this problem. And what I've noticed this week and a lot of the other stories, um, the, or the other, other outlets that have been producing this story this week and telling the story is that there is some sort of urgency or rage or sort of, um, understanding that if immigrants are running towards the border at this point, that we'll make it over. 
And then there is that conflict of the children who have been there who are now trying to be placed in American cities where their um, family members can be located. So this is a very interesting conflict right now. Um, I think that we will see in the coming weeks what the administration will do to alleviate the problem with the children that are there trying to be sent to the various American cities to find their family members, but also the influx of people coming to the border now that Trump is out of office. Uh, very interesting story to to watch and just a uh, really transitional time for our country and what immigration policies really can do and what they mean and who they help or hinder. What are your thoughts, Em? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's been happening at the border has been for years at this point, right? Like you said, the Trump policies, there really created, like it hasn't been, you know, ha- like a good situation in terms of immigration down there for, uh, you know, in recent memory, but the Trump policies regarding, you know, separation of families um, down there really fueled a, a very scary awful situation that the Biden administration has inherited, um, which isn't to say that, you know, I I have a lot of hope that um, the policies of the new administration will have the intention of fixing what's going on down there. Um, But there is no guarantee that that will happen. I um, I, I can't find the headline. I saw some sort of headline about Biden sort of trying to talk to the Mexican government about trying to like, like put a hold on the migration happening. But I, I, I don't know. I, I can't find the article that, that I saw yet right now, but yeah. I mean, yeah. Did you see something like that? Well, in this article specifically, there's a statement that Biden says that he's telling uh, migrants to stay in their country until we Mm. alleviate the prices that we have and to Mm -hmm. come to America in the legal way, to Mm -hmm. not just run to the border and expect to be accommodated, but to go through the channel so that they can actually gain citizenship. And that has been, you know, twisted and turned in the media so many different ways. Um, But I, I respect the fact that he's saying, like, listen. This is not a free for all. There is a process. And we Mm -hmm. are obviously with this change of the house passing this immigration bill, we are open to this process, right? But you have to be open to it as well. You know? Yeah. I mean it. Yeah. I, I, I do. I think in my gut, I think that the intentions are there to really help solve the crisis in in a, in, in a way that really does look out for the well being of these people in need. Um, that being said, the reality of how these things end up working and, and, you know, I know Obama had a really bad record with deportations, right? Like even so democratic, uh, recent democratic policies haven't exactly been, um, worked in everyone's favor in a way that you would like to see when it comes to immigration policy. But I, I do, I do have hope that, that Biden will do the best he can to fix that problem and and with his administration, which at least is a really, you know, a big hopeful change from what we've had for the last four years at the very least, you know? Yeah. 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 
Well, this definitely is a story to watch, um, but it's good to know that that, you know, that bill was passed and hopefully as it goes to the Senate, even if it's not passed initially, there will be more conversations about how to make this work. Um, and just, you know, these children at the border are actually being placed and uh, there's a huge um, effort for um, state governments to help these students or students, I'm sorry, children be placed um, with their families or in safe places. So I hope that this story evolves in a more positive place. Yes. Also, I wanted to note your the part of the story where um, the pathway to citizenship for agriculture workers was pretty yeah. awesome. Right. We've talked, yeah. We've talked a lot on the show the last few, the last month or two about, you know, our food, um, network in, in our how we're how disconnected we are from where our food comes from um, and from the people who sometimes suffer to you know along the way from it getting to us from where yeah. it came from um, so that sort of focus on on the people behind where our food comes from is it's good it's awesome you know hopefully it, it really come it really helps a lot of people yeah it definitely feels like we are headed in the right direction there's just so much to clean up you know, there's so many things to fix. Oh and- yeah. We're <laughs> everything's real fucking messy. <laughs> right. Like, like Biden's yeah. earned in that seat. Like he got work to do. Yeah. His administration. Well, definitely. Yeah. But, but that, that sounds more promising than just dismissing, you know, this issue altogether, yeah. which I think is what we, we witnessed in the last administration. So, oh, yeah. all yeah. right. So with that being said, Emily, please grace us with the good news for the week. Yeah. Also, I did want to note real fast, I misspoke during my first story earlier. Um, I I referenced someone named Lucy Black. Her name is actually Lucy Block with an O. That was just a typo on my part. But anyway, that I just fixed my mistake. So now here's the good news. All right. So my good news is a big congratulations to Tiffany Haddish. Uh, She just won the Grammy for Best Comedy Album of 2020 for Black Mitzvah. Um, this makes her the first black woman woman to win the award since 1985 when Whippy Goldberg won it for her original Broadway show recording. Uh, it also makes her only the second woman to win it since 1985, period. Um, Kathy Griffin won in 2013 for her album Calm Down Girl, uh, girl with two R's and a U, and uh, everyone else has been men since then. Um, Tiffany Haddish is also only the second woman of color to ever win this award. So it is just her and Whoopi Goldberg. Um, She's also only the fourth woman to win the award ever as a solo artist. It was her, Kathy Griffin, Whoopi Goldberg, and then I believe Lily Tomlin in 1971 for her album, This Is a Recording, um, which is so crazy. Um, She's only the sixth woman if you include women who won it jointly with a male co-performer. So the history of women winning best comedy album is really um, not, you know, it's, it's bad, but she just, you know, this is, it really just goes to highlight how big, how much of a big deal this is. It's awesome. Um, and we're currently at the 63rd annual Grammys for context. So I think there's a total of, of six women who have ever won this award jointly or solo um, and out of 63, which is crazy. Wow. But anyway, yeah, wow. <laughs> I know it's like that, but it's also just goes to show like how big of a deal is it is that Tiffany Haddish won. Um, so she was actually surprised with the news of her win while she was on set filming Kids Say the Darndest Things. 
Uh, there's this great video of it posted on her YouTube account. Uh, the video is titled How Tiffany Haddish Found Out She Won a Grammy for Black Mitzvah Best Comedy Album. And it made me tear up. So I really recommend you check it out. Um, Tiffany captioned the video by writing, quote, I was working today for At Kids Say the Darndest Things, airing very soon on At CBS TV. Uh, the producers decided to tell me I won a Grammy while I was interviewing these two young ladies, Lauren and Ava, that want to someday be president of the United States of America. I was flooded with, su with such a, a sense of accomplishment and relief. I didn't know what to say. I kind of didn't know what to say. I just wanted to cry, but I knew it would have confused the babies. So I decided to use that moment to teach and share my feelings. Uh, thank you to the record uh, Recording Academy for the honor. Thank you to everyone that made Black Mitzvah happen, to Push It Productions and, you know, at Paige Hurwitz. And then, these, then she did all these hashtags. I'm not going to say the hashtag every time, but Wanda Sykes, Netflix, Jackie Noby, uh, Dion Wynn, Yvette Sheldon, Law, uh, Law Roach, Gerard Carmichael, Lil Ray, uh, Rel How, Howry, uh, Chris Spencer, Sherry... Uh, Sheraday, Sheraday Productions, and she, oh, She Ready Productions. <laughs> it's all much together. And She Ready, which is Tiffany Haddish's um, catchphrase. It's all, all one word. It's hard to read. Anyway, uh, in the video, she's in disbelief at first that she really won, saying, I did not beat all those guys. And she's like tearing up um, as it sinks in. She starts crying. And they say, We just changed history. Um, she takes some time to talk to the two young women of color on stage with her. Uh, to talk about her journey, and it's really just so awesome to watch. Um, it's also not the first time Tiffany Haddish has made history. On her website, it says in November, a quote, in November 2017, she made history by becoming the first Black female stand-up comedian to host Saturday Night Live, uh, which is also so goddamn crazy that it took until 2017 for that to happen, too. Yeah. Um, and then a little more background on Tiffany. I got this from here and there, but mostly from a 2019 BBC article by Lebo DeSecco. Um, Tiffany was born in 1979 to an African-American mother and an Eritrean father who was descended from Ethiopian Jews, known as Beta Israel. Uh, she grew up in South Central Los Angeles, has been homeless, and was in the foster care system. Uh, Tiffany began reconnecting with Judaism as an adult taking Hebrew lessons and studying the Torah, and she even had a bat mitzvah on her 40th birthday. The title of the album, Black Mitzvah, is a play on that phrase. The comedy special pays tribute to her Jewish heritage and the journey of many Black Jews. Uh, congrats again to Tiffany Haddish on this amazing accomplishment and this huge win for Black women, Black Jewish women, all women, and so on and so on everywhere. That's awesome, Ems. Look, I got like yeah. tears in my eyes. <laughs> I know the whole thing. Like I, it's a wonderful story. I know. It's awesome. It's such good news. She's the best. She deserves it all. Absolutely. So proud of her. Thank you yeah. so much for that story. It was very heartwarming. And I know. You know Tiffany's like one of those comedians. Like when she first came out, I was like, okay, this is a little slapstick for me. But who she's become as a person has been quite mm -hmm. a journey to watch. And I love seeing mm -hmm. her win. She looks amazing mm -hmm. right now as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's awesome. She's great. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I think that was incredible.
So that's it for this week's Objection to the Rule. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch all of our older episodes on the RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or on the Radio Free Brooklyn app or on Spotify. Uh, Please continue to listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. Our final track of the day comes from Childish Gambino. I found this track and it's so funny because it's been out for a while and I... I feel like I heard it, but I never knew it was like a thing. And then I fell in love with it again. So I hope you enjoy it. This track is called 3005. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. No matter what you say, what you do, when I'm alone, I'd rather be with you. Okay, hold up, wait a minute, all good, just a week ago Crew at my house, and we party every weekend So, on the radio, that's my favorite song Make me bounce around like I don't know, like I won't be here long Now the thrill is gone, got no patience, cause I'm not a doctor Go, why is you lying? Girl, why you Mufasa? Yeah, me casa su casa. Got it stripped it like Gaza. Got so high off volcanoes. Now the flow is so lava. Yeah, we spit that saliva. iPhone got message from Viber. Either the head is so hydra or we let bygones be bygones. My God, you pay for your friends. I'll take that as a compliment. Got a house full of homies. Why I feel so the opposite. Incompetent ain't the half of it. Saturdays with young lavishes. Saddest shit is I'm bad as it. These they took from the cabinet. Sorry, I'm just scared of the future. Till 2005, I got your back, we can do this, hold up. No matter what you say, what you do, when I'm alone, I'd rather be with you. Fuck these other niggas, I'll be right by your side, till 2005, hold up. 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 If you live in New York City and run for either fun or exercise, here's a way to learn something about the city while you're getting in your workout. City Running Tours is now offering neighborhood running tours designed with locals in mind. New York City takes pride in the diversity and character of its neighborhoods, and these unique running tours offer an opportunity to learn the history of a neighborhood and get personal recommendations from your guide. Choose from tours of 23 neighborhoods, including the East Village, the Upper West Side, Bushwick, Long Island City, and Roosevelt Island. For more information about the running tours and to see the list of neighborhoods and full tour schedule, check out their website at www.cityrunningtours.com slash New York City and check out a live tour every Saturday at 10 a.m. on Instagram.com forward slash city running tours.